Welcome to episode 22 of the G2 on 5G, the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is my fellow analyst, uh, partner in crime, Anshul Sag. So let's get started with my first topic. Uh, late breaking news, uh, Mobile World Congress 2021 will go on but it's actually been pushed out. So traditionally the show has been in the February timeframe uh, next year and there's you know, no question why they wanna put a little more distance between COVID and, and the show. Uh, it looks like the show will be in the, in the summer timeframe. Uh, this should be interesting for uh, lots of Europeans that like to take their summer vacations. They're very prescriptive about that. I know that for a fact because I, back in the day, worked for Deso Systems, a French software company. But, uh, you know, more importantly, you know, I, it kind of got me thinking, you know, what, what would be some of the anticipated themes and related announcements? And one, you know, big probability will be Open RAN. You know, that's been actually a huge discussion as of late. You know, it started with discussions on Capitol Hill in Washington about how to, like, you know, right-size the, the domestic supply chain for 5G. So I think that'll definitely be a topic. What what are your thoughts? What are you thinking we're gonna we're gonna see come out of next year's show? Um, I think it's gonna be a lot more heavy on mainstream five G, so low, lower cost five G. Yeah. Um, and talking about non smartphone use cases uh, a lot more, mm -hmm. um, because I feel like right now everything's smartphone related. Yeah. Um, so I think it's gonna be a lot more fixed wireless access stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think it'll be a lot more IoT related 5G talk um, and more more actual doing than talking because I feel like people have been talking about, you know, non-smartphone 5G use cases for a while, yeah. but actually implementing them is going to be the big part. I agree and it's interesting. So uh, Huawei Connect is going on this week as well virtually. Um, I would normally be in Shanghai for that. I've, I've been there the last three years. And I was impressed, you know, obviously Huawei is very embattled in this part of the country and, you know, world and even in Europe, you know, when you look at what's going on in the UK and that sort of thing. But um, I was impressed with their focus on use cases and they've had, you know, over the last two days, a lot of customers on stage with them and it's ranged from FinTech to, um, you know, manufacturing to smart city. And I got to agree with you, you know, uh, it's got to be more than the smartphone and, you know, I'm looking forward, you know, to, uh, you know, some of the use cases that'll be shared there. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. And hopefully you and I will be able to attend next year. I'm dying to get back on a plane. So yeah. let's, let's shift to your first topic this week. And there was a small cell announcement from Samsung, right? Yeah, so Samsung announced a new small cell. Um, this new small cell uh, is specifically a millimeter wave small cell for 5G. Mm -hmm. um, they, they are building it in partnership uh, with Qualcomm for Verizon. Um, okay. So this product is called the Link Cell. Um, mm -hmm. and it supports 28 gigahertz and 100 megahertz channels. Um, so it's a very small device. It looks honestly like a normal enterprise um, Wi-Fi AP, AP that you'd yeah. find in any building. Mm -hmm. um, so the size-wise, it's very attractive. Um, and you know, this is kind of going to be the the type of device that solves the indoor, you know. 5G um, coverage problem, both mm -hmm. for millimeter wave and for other signal, um, because you know inside of the building, um, as long as it's you know located in the ceiling, perhaps 
should be able to get line of sight pretty much from anywhere inside that building as long as you know you don't have too many walls uh, obstructing it but um, I mean the reality is if you look at how enterprise APs are deployed today um, you know they're not spaced out very far apart because you want to have ubiquitous coverage yeah um, so I think it's very interesting and uh, I think it's a, a big deal because you know in building 5g is going to be a, an important application for 5g i agree you know and i'm also not surprised to see um, qualcomm jumping into the infrastructure side of things right i mean they've been driving the 5g ecosystem from a device perspective and we've talked on prior podcasts about their tiered approach so that they can support a range of different phones from the low end mid to the very high end some of these foldable designs that we're seeing as well um, and I know that they're also, um, Qualcomm's partnered with Airspan. Uh, Airspan is in the small cell space as well. Um, they've been the manufacturer of, in the past, the Sprint Magic Box. And so um, I think you'll start seeing some, you know, probably some announcements from Airspan in the not too distant future as well. But I agree with you, this is a critical linchpin um, to supporting 5G indoor and certainly millimeter wave, right, with that short right. propagation. That's the, you know, that's going to give 5G speed, you know, real high 5G speeds indoors. Obviously, you still need to have the, the networking connectivity to make that possible with enough yeah. bandwidth. Um, but these uh, link cells are using Qualcomm's 5G RAN platform. Mm -hmm. So um, this is definitely a, um, a much more, you know, industry standard application. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what other vendors um, come out with similar um, products what Samsung has. I agree. I agree. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, let's move to my second topic this week. And um, AT&T announced uh, just a few days ago that they're going to be um, providing network as a service to three Air Force bases in the United States. And um, there was also an indication that there would be um, some sort of, uh, you know, delivery of, of 5G, obviously, you know, along with that. And uh, it's, it's quite interesting because my third topic, I'm going to go into a little more detail about the DOD and private networking. But, um, you know, this is interesting. You know, military is a mission critical, uh, you know, uh, service to our country and it requires the utmost security and that sort of thing. I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing, you know, private 5G deployments occurring within the federal government. You got any thoughts here, Angel? I think it's I think it's interesting because uh, Verizon's also deploying 5G on military bases. We talked about that a few podcasts ago, right? Podcast. Yeah. So it's interesting to see you know Verizon and AT and T are both deploying um, 5G on military bases. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's you know it fits for what you know the government is trying to do with modernizing um, the military, and that's one of the reasons why they're able to justify you know securing 5G networks. So mm -hmm. um, I think because the government has confidence in these networks being more secure, they're able to adopt 5G much more quickly than I think other countries are um, and will hopefully give uh, our military a strategic advantage in terms of, um, you know, having better connectivity, you know, more, more secure connectivity um, and hopefully will, you know, propel the industry and um, defense uh, department further along with all of the branches of the DOD. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it as well, um, you know, I don't have uh, any sort of security clearance, but 
when you think about what 5G will be able to do from a, from a latency and a throughput perspective and tactile operation, you can only imagine what the military applications for that would be, right? I mean, not just, you know, beyond communication, but uh, there have got to be some very, very interesting use cases. And we've talked about AR, VR applications beyond just consumer, right? So, I, you know, I, I think there, there are a whole host of things the military is probably kicking the tires on, you know, that they believe 5G is going to unlock. Wouldn't the, you agree? The first, the first customer of Microsoft's HoloLens is the U.S. military. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're going to want something to feed those headsets with real-time, you know, data. Um, you know, the, the problem with having, you know, a very modern infrastructure like this and training with it is when you're no longer in the field with that kind of connectivity, what changes? Mm -hmm. So, um, it's both a blessing and a curse, but um, I think there's a lot of applications out there that will um, make uh, potentially 5G a, a big opportunity for the military, especially when you consider that they do operate on so many proprietary wireless standards already Right. Um, that may be unifying under one standard that isn't proprietary might actually help them with, um, you know, interoperability and, you know, being able to operate in places where maybe they don't have their own network set up or to set up their own network, you know, on the fly as needed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, think about it like in a, in, a, in a military war theater to be able to, to stand up, you know, a 5G base station, you know, and provide communication and maybe a remote area uh, that isn't served uh, could be quite interesting. I mean, obviously, you have, you have to have the spectrum, you know, to do that. Right. But uh, yeah, it'll be super interesting. So it'll be it'll be uh, cool to kind of keep tabs on that. Um, again, you know, we talked about Verizon on a, on a, on a latter podcast and now AT&T is jumping into the fray here. So. We're seeing a theme. So let's move to your second topic. And you want to talk about um, an Amazon um, gaming platform. And and we've talked about Wavelength in the past too, right? So there was a new announcement this week around that. Yeah, so uh, today, about a few hours ago, uh, Amazon announced uh, Luna, which is their cloud gaming platform, mm -hmm. uh, which is designed to compete with Google's um, Stadia and uh, Microsoft's xCloud. And basically it's, the reason why we're talking about it at all is because cloud gaming is a huge 5G use case um, because you know you can game in the cloud over 5G with super low latency um, and be able to you know experience it at you know local like experience like it's a console you know playing off your home home network and mm -hmm. that's kind of the idea is being able to have a you know a cloud gaming machine running and, and streaming to your phone or your tablet or your TV or whatever device you feel like. Yeah. And uh, this is a big deal because um, I think everybody kind of expected Amazon to do this because AWS, most games run off of AWS. Mm -hmm. So um, having a cloud service uh, almost seemed like a natural um, progression of what Amazon's doing in gaming. Yeah. Um, and, and Luna is $5.99 a month, um, but they also are going to have different channels for different publishers. So right now they have an Ubisoft channel. So you pay five bucks, five ninety nine a month, you get mm -hmm. hundred games. But in addition to that, you can pay extra and and subscribe to Ubisoft's, you know, library of games. Okay. And the idea would be that other publishers could take advantage of this, and offer their content on the Luna platform, kind of Got like it. how they have Amazon Prime Video, where you have like you know CBS All Access, HBO, yeah. and Prime Video. Right. So it's kind of the same kind of concept. 
Um, and it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how it turns out long term. They're yeah. saying that they can deliver 4K60 over a 35 megabit connection. Um, but in order to get that, that kind of a quality um, image, you have to maintain a minimum of 35 megabits. So you, know, you can't have any drops below that, otherwise you lose quality. So naturally, you're going to want to have a pretty solid 5G connection if you want to stream 4K60. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, Ubisoft. So you, it's sort of like a, you know, kind of a publisher direct delivery model. What about the operators? You know, what about, you know, Verizon, Telefonica, AT&T, 3UK? Um, are, are they going to be able to leverage this platform, be able to monetize it and, and, and you know, drive some, drive some ARPU? So I don't think they've talked about that yet. Okay. Um, and I think it's because it's so new that they haven't really probably gotten all the carriers on board yet in terms of understanding what what value proposition it has sure especially when you consider that they're also competing against stadia and uh, microsoft um, xbox game pass ultimate Got um, it. so i think it's it's a it's going to be something um samsung when they launched the note 20 did offer a gaming bundle which included microsoft cloud gaming service so there there are oems that are trying to bundle cloud gaming with their devices okay. Yeah. Um, but I have a feeling that there is a chance we'll also see operators do the same thing. Um, the real thing is, is, the real issue is that, um, you know, operators are not standing these up themselves. So there would have to be a white labeled service yeah. or bundled as a, you know, a gaming, um, a gaming plan. So I think what's going to happen is once these cloud services are finally like, you know, cemented and what they can do and what they offer, um, and the operators have rolled out their standalone networks, you'll start to see a gaming slice where you pay for gaming as opposed to a certain amount of data. Um, right, from an operator perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I envision that as well, yeah. I just think it'll take time, uh, and I don't think anybody wants to talk about it until they actually have network slicing working. Yeah. Um, but I think that's gonna be the long haul play for this cloud gaming yeah. application for operators at least. No, I agree. Yeah, you know, in, in Amazon, you know, I, uh, you know, I've, I've spent time with AWS, and you know, they don't want to be competitive. I mean, they want to enable, you know, these use cases. So to your point, it's probably very early, you know, sort of in the journey on on this one. But but I expect operators will want to jump all over this, private label it, you know, white label it, do whatever. Yeah, um, I, I don't see Amazon being as much in your face as a brand um, with Luna. I see yeah. them wanting to allow publishers to leverage it as a platform. Mm -hmm. um, Stadia seems a little bit more in your face and xCloud is very heavily Microsoft branded. Yeah, um, Xbox, yeah. So yeah, it's not, that. I don't think it's necessarily the same thing. Plus yeah. they bought Bethesda and ZeniMax last week. Mm -hmm. So um, that acquisition is gonna be a big deal for 5G because they're gonna have the strongest content library of anybody when it comes to uh, you know, offering um, cloud gaming. Interesting. Good and then stuff. there's, a, yeah, there's yeah. a second part of the announcement. Well, not related, but still cloud related. Um, AWS Wavelength added three more cities to their trials mm -hmm. with Verizon. Um, so they added Atlanta, New York City, and DC. Uh, in addition to the West Coast cities that they had announced, I think it was San Francisco and Seattle. So um, I think, uh, it's very interesting to see that they're, you know, continuing to expand uh, into pretty big metro areas that um, will give them more opportunities to test out the benefits of 5G with Amazon's wavelength. 
Yeah, I know. Stay tuned. You know, I think that, you know, AWS calls those their zones, their wavelength zones. And stay tuned. Um, you may see yours truly in a future um, online piece talking a little bit more about wavelength, but I, I can't, uh, can't divulge all the details at this point. So uh, again, stay tuned. Let's move to my third topic this week. And, uh, and I alluded to this earlier, kind of, kind of dovetails into my second topic with the, the Air Force. But this week, the Department of Defense um, basically sent out not really a tender or an RFQ or an RFP, but they kind of put out a, an exploratory RFI around how could they deploy and operate their own private 5G network. And, um, you know, I, I jumped on this immediately and um, I think I tweeted something out. It's like, well, it's not easy, you know, uh, you're gonna need the help of, you know, the big infrastructure providers, you know, like the Ericsson's and, you know, the Nokia's and the Samsung's of the world. Um, there's gonna be a learning curve, right? And this, you know, we talked about the whole modernization, you know, sort of aspect of, of the military. Obviously the DOD is uh, in charge of the military, all the, the branches, yeah, the umbrella. And and so it, th this was interesting from my perspective. And I think this might lead, you know, as I kind of alluded to before, um, you know, the possible deployment of private 5G networks. Again, getting back to the need to, to secure things and, you know, sort of manage your own destiny. And, you know, with the open RAN discussions going on, um, there are you, domestic software vendors and companies like Navineer that can supply part of the RAN. Um, and then you've got, you know, disaggregated, you know, components that are available from the likes of Cisco and HPE, uh, you know, as well. So, I mean, I'm curious, what are, what are your thoughts about, about that announcement this week? I guess my question is, do you know of any vendors that are specifically building their infrastructure for 5G to be compliant with the Department Military of Defense? Not, not to my knowledge. <laughs> I just think it's interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because I think, I think um, you know, there are military specs for security. For sure. And I'm curious to whether or not anyone's even building equipment for that purpose yet, or if they've been building it and just haven't said anything about it yet. Um, but I think that's something interesting because that's an opportunity for some vendors that might want to go after that. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think uh, realistically, you know, 5G is, a, is an infrastructure um, it, it's fundamental infrastructure, right? Because it's connectivity, it's it's internet, and nowadays everything runs off the internet. Yeah. So, um, you know, the government, specifically the DoD, is going to want to have, you know, a very set specific set of requirements that these vendors, you know, adhere to yeah. in order to ensure that their private private 5G networks are secure, even more secure than, um, you know, what they are today. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and I read through some of the questions and, and they're, it, they're very early in the stages. I mean, it was, it's very exploratory. It's almost like the DOD is asking very, very basic one-on-one -on -one questions about what's required to, to stand up a network and, and, and operate a network. So, and I agree with you. I mean, at some point, you know, mil-spec will probably come into play. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of keep uh, keep our eyes on this area and it's to to see if there'll be other you know operators not only in the U.S. but you know globally that are supporting um, their military you know uh, infrastructure 
you know, uh, you know, as well as, you know, you know, providing those, you know, those kind of critical services for first responders and those sorts of folks. So let's shift to your third topic this week. And uh, it's about 3GPP release 17. Yeah, so right now our 5G networks are operating on release 15. Mm -hmm. uh, release 16 has already been ratified and is going to be rolling out over the next year or so, maybe 18 months. But release 17, which is the next step in 5G's evolution, um, was supposed to be uh, released, I believe, next year, or at least finalized next year. Mm -hmm. And now they're saying that in December, when they meet again, um, they're going to probably decide how long they're going to delay that that freeze. The freeze is when they lock down the, the spec. Right. And um, that freeze may be delayed anywhere from six three to six months due to, um, you know, the fact that the three GPP have not been able to meet in person. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these meetings are very important because uh, having these people meet in person ensures secrecy uh, of the IP of the companies that are helping develop the standards. Mm -hmm. um, so three GPP meetings are not public. Uh, you have to be a member and most of the, um, most of the results of the meetings are not published publicly mm -hmm. until they, um, you know, release a few work items or the final spec. So uh, they're pretty limited in the information that they publicly release. So because of that, they, they don't really have the infrastructure yet, uh, I think, to fully meet in a way that I think would allow them to finalize a spec as quickly as they used to. Um, so I think this may actually delay um, 5G's progress uh, anywhere from three to six months, but hopefully it doesn't because people will have already anticipated <clears throat> some of the subjects that they are discussing and they're planning to freeze into the standard. Right. Um, so it may not cause too much of a delay, um, but you know, if the spec doesn't exist, then uh, nobody can you know, officially support it. And if they can't officially support it, then it can't be utilized. So because of that, you know, stuff like if they had delayed, um, you know, release 15, then we wouldn't have standalone yet. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's important that we have these specs and that we, you know, don't have too much of a delay, but at the same time that we, you know, don't miss things that need to be in the standard, um, you know, ASAP. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, when you look at some of uh, the deployment activity from from the operators with, um, you know, with with new radio this year, uh, Rakuten, you know, others did point to COVID as an excuse for, you know, um, slowing de deployment. And then obviously, you know, with distancing and that sort of thing, I mean, physically, you know, just, you know, to get up on those towers and, you know, to hang the necessary equipment, that's certainly been slowed as well. Um, so it's, it's no surprise to me. I mean, to your point, hopefully um, they can recover pretty quickly and, and work double time um, so that we don't get, you know, we don't get too far behind there. But, um, but yeah, certainly there have been some silver linings and some positive aspects of COVID, but this is definitely a negative aspect. So um, we'll just have to wait and see, you know, it kind of rolls out. So, well, hey, buddy, another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Sure. Uh, we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to like us to provide insight on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. 
we hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.